So how many of you have been here? I don't mean here as in church, I mean here as in what you just saw. Where was that? Shout it out if you know. Niagara Falls. I wanted to give you a mental image of worship. As the falls, the water goes down to the bottom and it hits, it it turns into a mist that rises all the way to the source from which it came. That's worship. As God opens up the heavens and pours the blessings upon the peoples of the earth, so the response raises all the way back up to the source from which it came. That's worship. Now, what I'd like to share with you this morning is uh, not unique to me. Uh, It's not original. Uh, Norm Geisler puts what I'm about to share with you into two separate presentations, and I condensed it into four hours for you guys. But what I'd like to share are some specifics about worship, namely what it is and how to do it, particularly with worship music, and that's a hotly uh, debated topic in itself. And I'd like to start with just three points from you, or three points for you for the beginning, and I'll repeat them at the end, just in case you feel led to doze throughout the middle. The first point is that worship is the most important thing you can do. Worship is the most important thing you can do. Number two, you should always do the most important thing you can do. You should always do the most important thing you can do. Therefore, you should always worship. I have in parentheses there, so go do it. Now, in order to do that, this is kind of a lost art in the church, if you will. I'd like to discuss the following points, because if it's the most important thing that we can do, and that then therefore we should do it, we should know what it is and how to do it, or else we're not going to be able to do it. So I'd like to dis- discuss for you the following. What is worship? Whom should we worship? Who should worship? Where to worship? When to worship? Why should we worship? And how to worship? Concentrating particularly on those last two points. There's a lot of data here. There's a lot of data here. And if you'd like, uh, you don't have to take notes, please just get a hold of me and I'll be happy to send all this information to you. My job is to try to keep you guys awake while you're getting it. But we're going to go through uh, at least the first five of these fairly quickly to move on to the last two. But if we're supposed to do this, we should know what, whom, who, where, when, why, and how, particularly with music. So let's begin at the beginning. What is worship? Well, the meaning of the Greek word, proskuneo, means to prostrate oneself, to do obeisance. If you're not familiar with that word, that's to to bow down and and revere, to show reverence for. And that's a pretty straightforward definition. But what is the essence of worship? What is it? Especially if we're supposed to have a worship service. Why don't we have an evangelistic service? Why why are we here supposedly having a worship service? Strangely enough, it's used of humans in the Bible that are thought to be either superhuman 
or divine. If you remember in the book of Acts, Peter shows up to Cornelius' house. He walks in the door to share the gospel and Cornelius bows down to worship him. And Peter says, no, no, no. He picks him up and says, I'm a, I'm a man just like you. In the end times, the, the people thrown in the lake of fire were those who worshipped the beast and the false image. So clearly you can worship what's not God. But we're concerned about worshiping God. This is what we want to know. What is worship of God? And it's attributing ultimate worth to Him. It's giving Him worthship is what it means. Now we should not attribute ultimate worth to anything less than what is ultimately worthy. We shouldn't attribute ultimate worth to anything that is less than ultimately worthy. To do so is to have what the Bible calls an idol. So what is worship? Worship is attributing ultimate worth to something, and it's acknowledging the worth-ship of something. Revelation 4.11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You are worthy, it says, That's why we worship, we attribute that to Him. He is worthy. Now that we know what it is, whom do we worship? Well, the Bible is perfectly clear. God alone, Deuteronomy 6 says, you shall fear only the Lord, you shall worship Him and swear by His name. We're supposed to worship God alone. Jesus confirms this in Matthew where he's telling Satan, go away from me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So God is the only one that is supposed to receive worship. True worship, as far as the Bible is concerned, should only be to the true God. Exodus thirty-four fourteen: you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Why is God jealous? Oprah Winfrey had a huge problem with this. But why is God jealous? Well, because He loves you. Because you're His. Because He created you to have fellowship with Him. And anything you worship that's other than Him is not ultimately going to satisfy you. He's jealous for you. He's jealous in the same way a husband is jealous for a wife. And hopefully vice versa. Norm Geisler and Tom Howe write on this, human jealousy is often, not all the time, but often, coveting what does not belong to us. However, God's jealousy is protecting what does belong to Him. It's not a sin for God to claim allegiance of His creatures since He is their Creator. And He knows that it is best for them not to make an ultimate commitment to what is less than ultimate. Idols. The last thing that John says in 1 John. Beware of idols. Only an ultimate commitment to what is really ultimate will ultimately satisfy the human heart. Have you thought about that? Only an ultimate commitment, that's from us, to what is ultimate, that's our object, that's God, will ultimately satisfy. God is jealous to protect this. That's a good thing. So true worship is only to the true God. In conclusion to point two here. Worshiping any 
anything other than God is false worship. Now, well, why is it false, though? I mean, think about, for the, think about that for a second. If you're worshiping not God, it's not false in the sense that you're not really worshiping, but it's false in reference to the object of your worship. So false worship has to do with the object. It's what you choose to worship. It's not, if it's not the true God, then you're participating in false worship. We do, and, and clearly there can be false worship. Paul says that in, in Romans 1 where they exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship the creature instead of the creator who is forever praised. Amen. We worship ourselves a lot of the time. It's been said that uh, God created man in his image and man returned the favor. We do that. We do that a lot. And a lot of our prayers are usually us projecting ourselves upward. It's tough sometimes. That's what happens when we're sinful. We do that. Now, who should worship? So we did what it is, to whom it belongs to worship. We're supposed to worship God. Now, who should do it? Well, all angels. Praise Him, all His angels. We sing this in the doxology. Praise be to Him, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So all angels should worship. All humans should worship. Let, let all the peoples, let every nation, let all the peoples praise Him. All humans. All creatures. Which is interesting. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Even Philippians 2 says, every knee shall bow and tongue confess. And that's interesting because that, that shows that even those who aren't believers will end up uh, showing God uh, his worship. They will end up worshiping. It's clearly not from the heart. They're not saved. But they can worship in that sense also. Now, where to worship? You see, there's a lot of data here. There's a lot, there's a lot to remember if you're trying to remember it. Just get the notes. But where to worship? Well, in general, to broad places. Number one, in private. Think about it that way. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, does anybody have a private place? Is there somewhere particular that you, you go to meet with God? Do you have a place like that? Whether it's a, a walk in the woods or whether it's your desk at home, do you have a place where you, you try to meet with God regularly? You can worship in private. You can. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. We're to worship in, in private. Notice that He assumes that His audience is actually going to do that. When you do that, go do it in private. You can worship in private. Indeed, we should. Also in public. The psalmist says in 42, I used to go along with the throng and lead them to procession to the house of God with the voice of joy, thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. It's okay to worship in public. It's okay to worship in public. When to worship? Who, where, when? When do we worship? Well, we worship when we're thankful, when blessed, 
when good things happen, when tragedy strikes. This is a tough one. All the time. I think I have these broken up. Let's see here. When thankful, this quote's talking about the first fruits in Deuteronomy. It's when brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God in worship before the Lord. Has God given you something good? Worship Him. Praise Him for that. That is worthy of worship. That's when you do it. When something happens, do it. Worship. When blessed, in this verse, there were certain nations coming against Israel, and God said to King Jehoshaphat, I believe it was, He said, don't worry about fighting them. You don't have to fight at all. It's not your battle. Just stand there and watch and see the salvation of the Lord. God blessed them. He did something on their behalf. They didn't have to do anything at that time. Have you felt blessed by somebody lately? Has, has somebody given you something? Has God given you something through somebody else? That's, that's cause for worship. When that happens, worship the Lord. Praise Him. That's wonderful. It's good to praise the Lord. When good things happen, you remember the man born blind? Jesus healed him, sent him away, and that guy's looking around. He's walking around trying to figure out who healed him. And Jesus finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He's right here. In fact, he's speaking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he falls down and worships him. The man was healed. He was born blind, could never see. That's a good thing. When good things happen, worship God. It's awesome. It's an awesome time to worship. Here's a more difficult one. When tragedy strikes. You guys know this story. In fact, a lot of you guys in here have undoubtedly experienced some tragedy of one form or another. But you remember Job and three or four lightning-like strikes? Loses all, all of his children. All of his wealth, every, everything he has. This was before he lost his health, too. He, he did lose that, too, but this was beforehand. He arises, tears his robe, shaves his head, falls down to the ground, and worships when tragedy strikes. Now, this does not mean that he was rejoicing in the tragedy. We get confused on that sometimes. That doesn't mean rejoice when something bad happens to you, as in, as in rejoice in the bad thing. He wasn't, he, he wasn't excited because he, all of his children just got killed. He was mourning, and yet he still worshipped. So don't confuse that. It's like when James says rejoice in trial. Well, you, you don't rejoice in the evil that's occurring praise God, I just lost my arm or something like that. That's, that's not it. But it's trusting in the Lord through the circumstance, worshiping in spite of, not just because of. That's a hard one. That's a hard one, as many of you probably know and probably know better than me. When to worship. When do we worship? All the time. All the time. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus.
worship all the time. All the time. So, now that we got those down, what, to whom, who's supposed to do it, where and when, let's talk about these two big ones. Why and how. If we're supposed to do this, we got, we, number one, we've got to know why we're doing it in the first place. And then number two, if we decide to commit to it, we have to know how to do it. What are we doing? How do we know when we're worshiping? Well, let's find out. First, why. Let's start with some reasons why not to worship. We don't worship because God needs it. Paul says, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything. God doesn't need our worship. God doesn't need Chris Mauser's worship. Doesn't need Chris Mauser's praise. Certainly doesn't need my money. There's not much of it. He doesn't need anything from me. Nothing. For he himself gives to everything, all life, all breath, etc. God does not need my worship. That's not why we worship him. We don't do it to impress others. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites when you pray, for they stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they can be seen by men. When's the last time you're trying to worship when the music's playing up here and you're looking around at other people? <laughs> we do that. We do. That's not, why, that's not why we're supposed to worship. We've got to remember that worship is to an audience of one. Worship is to an audience of one. You're an audience of one, Lord, Father, Spirit, Son. Our worship, even in here, even though we're next to people that we love and that we know, even that we're married to, so on and so forth, worship is always and only to God, for God. He was the only audience we have in mind. And the blessing is that we get to come together and feed off of each other, so to speak, when we all worship Him together. But He is the only object. He is the only object. Now, that we've gotten that out of the way, reasons to worship. Number one, because God deserves it. Whatever has ultimate worth should be recognized as ultimately worthy. Right? Still with me? Whatever has ultimate worth should be recognized as ultimately worthy. Anything else you put a price tag on that's created is by definition limited. It's finite. God has infinite worth. That means unlimited. He is ultimately worthy. God has ultimate worth. Therefore, God should be recognized as being ultimately worthy. In other words, He should be worshipped. He should be worshipped because of that reason. He deserves it. Number two, because God is good. I think it was the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and, what must I do? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Think about that. And Jesus wasn't denying that he was God, but he was, he was helping that young man check his statement. In other words, if you're calling me good teacher, 
Do you realize what you're calling me? Only God's good. So if you call me good, what are you calling me? God. God is the only good one. The rest of us have goodness, but God is good. He is is that which is to be desired for His own sake. He is that which is to be desired for His own sake. He is the end of things. Now, God is good when He gives good things. You guys know this. Every, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadow. God is good when He gives good things. He gives good gifts. That's a reason to worship. That's why we worship Him. He's good. And I also like when when he gives us things like sunrises and sunsets. Pastor Hank talked about. It's raining today. I'm not excited about this, but he's still good. He's good when he takes away, though, as well. That's what Job said after he, after he worshipped. Naked I came into this world. Naked I will leave God's given, and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's still good. When he takes away. One poet has said, God is good when he gives, supremely good, nor less when he denies. Afflictions from his sovereign hand are blessings in disguise. God is good whether he's giving good or bad. He's still good and therefore he's worthy to be praised. Because God is God. This is probably the ultimate reason why we worship God. It's because He is God. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive honor and power and praise and might because you've created all things and by you these things have their being. God is God. And we forget that. We forget who he is. We forget what we mean when we say God. Don't have this idea that God's just a little bigger than us. He's not just quantitatively bigger. He doesn't just have more good stuff than us. God is as different from the world and us as a painter is from his painting. Now, if you paint a picture, if you have a big canvas up here and you start painting, how much of that picture is like you? Well, there's paint on it, there's pictures. But you're a lot different from that painting. God is different from His creation, even us. He's not just bigger. He's other than. God is different. He is God. In Him we live, we move, we have our being. If God withdrew His hand from us right now, we would just go out of existence. We are closer to nothing in our being. God is closer to everything. It's really amazing. Remember, it's not about the gift, but the giver. If God took away everything you had, and He may, I don't know what He's going to do, may take it from me. Can I worship Him just because He's good? It's tough. It's very tough. Because we need it. 
It reminds us that we're creatures. We already said that God doesn't need my worship, right? you got three persons in the Godhead, three perfect persons, they share a perfect nature, and they have perfect fellowship for all eternity. What does He need? Nothing. He doesn't need anything. But we need to worship Him because it reminds us that we're creatures. He is the Creator. It delivers us from our self-centeredness which is self-destructive. Now, I have kids. They love candy. If your kids love candy, if you love candy, what happens if every time my children ask for candy, I just keep giving it to them? They're not going to do too well. Why do they ask for it? Well, they don't know. They don't know what, what is in store if they continue to stuff themselves on all kinds of sweets. We do the same thing. Why doesn't God just give us everything that we want Him to all the time? Or why doesn't He take away things that we want Him to? Diseases? Gosh. Bad things? God knows the beginning from the end. If, we, if He took away something from us, it could affect our holiness. Only He knows that. We don't. We don't know what we ought to pray for, Paul says. We need to trust Him. Our self-centeredness is self-destructive. We need to turn our eyes on Him and trust Him. It reminds us that all we have comes from God, even what we give to Him. If you sold everything you had, if you gave even your life, at most you'd be even with God. He gives to us life and breath and all things He receives from no one. Paul says this. He says, what, what did you have that you didn't first receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you, don't rec- as if you didn't receive it? God's given us everything. Whatever we give back, it's already His anyway. Finally, why to worship? Because it's the most important thing we can do. It's the most important thing we can do. Now, I t- took this next slide straight from Norm Geisler here. Bear with me. You don't have to read all of it. But it's treating the most important person as the most important person, and that's the most important thing a person can do. It's treating the ultimate as ultimate, and that's of ultimate importance. It's treating the supreme as supreme, and that's of supreme importance. It's attributing the most worth to the one who is most worthy, And that is the most worthy thing we can do. It is acknowledging the Creator as Creator, and that's the most important thing a creature can do. I'm going to stop for a second. Do you you get it yet? Are you with me? You say, it just says the same thing. Fine. Yeah, it does. That's the point. It's it's screaming to us. If, If this is true, we need to be worshiping. That's the whole idea. Why do we do it? Because it's the most important thing we can do. And He's the most important. Why don't we do it? I don't know. All the time. I mean, I see us do it in here. Why don't we do it outside of here? I should speak for myself, but if I had a a wooden nickel, I would wager it that we don't all do it all the time. That gets to this 
these last points here. How do we do it? How do we know when we're worshiping? What, is the, what does the Bible say about how people worshiped and how to worship? Oh, there's a lot of information here. Let's go for it. Broadly, how to worship physically and spiritually. We'll talk about these for a sec. Physically, what do we do? You could do it by bowing your head. In Genesis, Abraham's servant went to go find a son for Isaac. And when he saw Rebekah come out, he bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. You can worship by bowing your head. This doesn't just have to be in a worship service. This could be anywhere. By bowing your head. By bowing our knees. Paul said, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. Come, let's bow down and worship. Let's kneel before the Lord our Creator, says the psalmist. You can worship by, by bowing the knee. It's easier in other churches where they have those little stools that come out. It's kind of hard in here, especially on the downhill. You might fall forward or you have to lean on the person in front of you. What about by lifting our hands? Paul commands, I want men to pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without anger or dispute. Usually it's it's the gals that are raising their hands, but... Paul commands men everywhere to raise holy hands. Remember, this is an audience of one. Just make a little room from the person next to you. You could, you could worship by raising your hands if you wanted to. I know this is a Baptist church. Wait till I get to the dancing one. <laughs> by putting our hand over our face. That's what Moses did when he met God in the wilderness. This is what, you probably remember Elijah on the mountain while all these big things are happening to the mountain. Finally, he, he hears that, that soft wind blowing. And what's he do? He takes his mantle, remember, he's from the Middle East, wraps it around his head. He covers his face. You could cover your face. You could put your hands over your face. Realize who we are in front of God's presence. That's entirely appropriate. Entirely appropriate to worship that way. That's a sign of worship. You could worship by doing that if you want to. By bowing our face down, Abram bowed down with his face to the ground, and God spoke to him. You could bow your face down. Be careful of the chair in front of you or the person standing in front of you. Falling on our face. This is talking talking about the unbeliever. Uh, Paul says that if you have a, a service where people are worshiping the Lord, the unbeliever comes in, he gets convicted of his sin, he says, surely God is in this place, and then he falls down on his face and worship, worships God. If you're going to do this, I recommend using the aisle. I've been in a place before where people have gotten down on the aisle and put their face to the ground. They bow down on the way. You say, well, what if, what if, what if Pastor Brian Pastor Hank see me? Pastor Brian and Pastor Hank are here to enhance our worship, not hinder it. So what if they're not putting their hands in the air? Audience of one. Remember that. In its appropriate order, of course. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture. John, I want to say Mackinac or something like that. I can't be right. That's the bridge. Anyway, it's called, it's hard to see. I was hoping it would be a little bit bigger. I think this is called Peace is Coming. 
There's a little bit of these postures, these different men of war experiencing the second return. Entirely appropriate positions. People bowing, people covering their face, bowing down to the ground, hands up. All right. It's not the position of the body, but the condition of the heart. If you want to keep your hands in your pockets, fine. This is not saying we have to do these things. This is saying we could do these things. Some people might not feel comfortable doing this. That's fine. But just remember, you're doing it for God, not for the person next to you. (sighs) The position of the body, the condition of the heart. People do have a form of godliness sometime without the substance that's there. That's the sad part. We could worship, we could do all the motions and not be worshiping. That's what we don't want to do. Let's not do that. Let's talk about the spiritual part though. Remember, this is how to worship. You could do all these things physically, how to worship. Spiritually, in truth and in spirit. Jesus said, with the woman at the well, said, the time is coming where people will worship God in spirit and truth. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that He is the truth. We worship through Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thy word is truth, He says in John seventeen seventeen. We can worship according to what the Bible says about Him. Notice that We don't honor God by saying something false about Him. And that's why we just got to be careful with music. And People hate when I say this, but there are lots of songs out there, especially good ones that you like, that don't have true words to them. I mean, what if you you tried to honor your father by saying something that was completely false about him? Is that honorable? Does that really honor him? Well, we can't. We can't honor God unless we speak the truth about Him. There's that one song. Probably more people will get upset in the second service than the first service. Something like the reckless love of God. God's love isn't reckless. That song's catchy as all get out too. But His love is entirely controlled. It's not reckless at all. It's not true. If I see words that don't match what's true of God, I just don't sing them. That's okay. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to trash the whole song either. I'm just saying, let's let's say what we mean, and let's mean what we say, and let's make sure that what we're saying is actually true. If we're going to say it, we will be judged by every word. I am in a lot of trouble. In truth, in spirit, by praise, let all the earth praise the Lord. By dedication. By spiritual dance, I'll talk about that in a sec. By offerings, by beauty, by instruments, by singing. We can praise God spiritually by all these things. These are physical acts, if you will, kind of coupled with spiritual acts. Let's talk about these for a sec. By praise, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the sky. By praise, when you're praising, you're declaring the worth, the praise, the value of God. That's how we spiritually worship. If you're praising God, you're worshiping Him. Okay? 
By dedication. Now I dedicate him to the Lord. From this time on, he is dedicated to the Lord. Then they worship the Lord there. You remember Samuel comes and gets dedicated to the Lord. When we have our baby dedications up here, that's a form of worship. Saying, I, I dedicate this child. I, I promise to raise this child to know that he is the most ultimate. It's a form of worship. That's one way to do it. By spiritual dance. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. And you guys remember that David danced with all his might in what? First Samuel, I think it is. David's dancing with all his might. Now, I think only one time have I ever seen somebody in here dance. And that was, might have been, was it two, two outdoor services ago? Or something like that where it was rainy and we all had to gather in here. And we had a jam-packed place there's this lady in the back she definitely wasn't from this church but man she was she was going (laughs) she was praising the lord she was doing that (laughs) that's a spiritual how do you know it's a spiritual dance You, you know when it elevates the spirit not gratifies the flesh dr geisler likes to say that the people in the bible are jumping for joy not twisting with her some of you got that. It's You can dance in praise to the Lord. People are excited about who God is. And it's exciting to have a festival and all people getting together to praise God. That's good. You can dance. You can dance if you want to. That's a song too, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> but you can. That's okay. It's okay to do that. I know in this church especially, when a clapping song comes up, somebody's in the back, they start, and then they look around. And... Yeah, they're like that. I... Who started that? That wasn't me. Remember, audience of one. You want to clap? Great. You want to dance? Get down. Just be careful of the people next to you. And all these things to be in order. It's supposed to be orderly. You don't have to go crazy. There's all kinds of well, I feel led to twist and do things orderly, but it's okay to do. By offering, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, which is a spiritual, spiritual service of worship. When you drop something in the offering plate, or you're sneaky and take it in the back to the office there, that's a form of worship. Realize that's what you're that's worshiping. It's okay. You don't have when that plate comes around, you don't have to hurry up and get your wallet out. That's worship though. That's cause for worship and that's a type of worship. You're worshiping God when you do that. By beauty. Some of you guys are artists. I'm not. One thing I've asked, and I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, that's an aspiration right there. You can worship God by your creativity. By your creativity. If you are artsy, beauty reflects His nature. Everything that's beautiful reflects some way and shape God, who is infinite beauty. He is infinite beauty. By instruments. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. How many of you guys like loud music? Many of you have those turn up that music in your car all the way. I did that when I was younger. I can't do it now. I can't take it. 
This says with loud cymbals. You ever gone to a festival and psh, psh, psh? Or have you ever been to LSCC? <laughs> I haven't been to North Iron, so I don't know, but I would guess. But loud cymbals. That's worshiping God. Don't just stand back and say, well, that's inappropriate. No, it's entirely appropriate. Loud music, that's fine. Wear your plugs if you need to. It's exciting. That's a sign of excitement. Noise. It's okay to worship God that way. And finally, this will be my last one, and I'll go through a little bit of this. By singing, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. I got all pumped up off the song Courtney just sang. I like that song a lot. She's going back and forth with Ray Ray. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. Some people don't sing. Some people can't sing. But some people don't sing. We have an opportunity to worship God by singing. You could keep it in the shower. That's fine. But you can do that. That's what I'm saying. That is perfectly appropriate as worship. When you're singing, that is worship. Doesn't matter if you sound like me. It's okay. Now that brings me to the terrible topic. What is a worship song? Now, with what I'm about to say, you may, you may disagree with some of these, and that's fine. But all I'm trying to do is give us a benchmark, if you will, a touchstone to try to figure out what is a worship song. You know? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's great. But that's about what I decided to do. So it's not a worship song. It's a good song. It ministers to me. I get all pumped up off that. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm following. I'm not turning back now. That's good. It can minister to you. It can be good. But what is a worship song? Here are these last points and then I'll wrap up. What is it? Number one... It's a song sung to God. If you're worshiping, if you're declaring the worth-ship, how worthy He is, then we're singing it to Him. It's a song sung to God. He's, he's our audience. It's a song sung about God. He's the subject. Not just singing to Him whatever came to mind. You're singing to Him about Himself. And it's not vanity on God's behalf, considering He is the ultimate it's the point. God is ultimately worthy of these things to be said back to Him. Look in the Psalms. These Psalms are sung, sung back to God. They're sung for God. He gets the glory. He gets the glory. He alone is worthy. What it's not. What is a worship song not? It's not about a certain style of music. People can worship God to rock and roll. I personally don't care for it. I don't like rock music. I don't like the loud cymbals necessarily. I just don't like that style. But it's not about the style. If you like that, you can worship God to that. As long as it meets the other qualifications, if you will. It's not about our experience of God at the time. You may go through periods in your life where you do not seem to have an experience of God. Where is He? You could still worship during that. The song does not need to draw your experience. You may feel just as empty while you're singing it as you do before you started. It's not about experience. It's not about fellowship with God. 
It's not what this song is about. Well, if, if I'm not going to commune with God, I'm not going to sing it. We should sing it anyway. We should worship anyway. Why? Be- because He's God. Because He's worthy. Because He's good. That's why we do it. It's not about fellowshipping with Him or each other. It's not what the song has to deal with. Remember, these are qualifications for a song. This is the last one. It's not about our feelings about God. Well, I feel like I meet God here. Well, okay. God's everywhere, though. You can meet Him anywhere. It's not about our feelings. You could feel good about false worship, and you can feel bad about true worship. Think about that. You could feel good about false worship. You can feel bad about true worship. Feelings are not a test for truth. And this is, that's a good thing. Because if you're feeling like garbage, that means you could still, still worship. And you could still know that it's worship, even if you feel low. Even if you feel low. It's objective. It's, it's outside of us. It, it doesn't have to be in here necessarily. We can proclaim these things, and in doing so, we, we make our heart right with God. But you don't always have to feel right before that. We can sing it despite our feelings. Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the Word of God, not all else worth believing. Martin Luther. Can't trust feelings. That's really hard for me. Ask Lynn. I didn't know I needed a psychiatrist before I started talking to him. Worship is the most important thing you can do. You should always do the most important thing you can do. Go do it. Go do it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it would be better for us to say five genuine words in worship than a 20-minute speech, Lord, that's just empty of meaning. Please turn our hearts to You, Lord, and please uh, help us to see what worship is, the acts, physical and spiritual, why we do it because You are worthy, Lord, and good and worthy to be praised, that you alone are worthy, truly, of worship. Now that we know what it is and to whom it's owed and that we should do it, Lord, please help us to do so. Please be with us now as we close out this service. Thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.